Good afternoon, Nick. Uh, so, how, what's uh, what's a uh, what's how's it going in uh, California there? Well, that's good. So, I'm out in Irvine, which is in Southern California. It's about 11 miles, I would say, east from from the beach. Right? Okay. And it's it's pretty cold today. Now, before I start, you know, before you know, all the Connecticut people start screaming and yelling and telling me about what cold is and isn't, I will say, for here, it is pretty cold for these conditions. I mean, we don't have 12 feet of snow, but there's something about, you know, when temperatures drop and then wind blowing off the ocean, it's just a different type of vibe. So, yeah, it's, it's not comfortable right now. But yeah. So, it, no so, it, so is it like, you know, 60s or? Uh, yeah, it's probably in the, in the 50s, but it feels it feels worse than that, I think. Um, but it's not going to be an all day event. It usually burns off and then it's it's beautiful by midday. Um, you know, it'd be great place to go visit, you know probably go down to like laguna area maybe if i can that was kind of a my old stomping ground growing up as a kid oh cool laguna beach yeah so i i grew up in laguna beach which is like i said about 11 miles you know west of here obviously just on the other side of the canyon and it was a really cool little small little town that i grew up in at the time it was a very very organic town very artist focused and it was a you know you know, a lot of art festivals and a lot of organic musicians. And it was just a really cool, small town kind of place. And I grew up there from elementary school, middle school, high school, you name it. It's a okay. really cool town. Really, really cool town. It's changed, sadly, uh, over the years. I would say the past 20 plus years since, what, 96 when I graduated high school or whatever. Um, it's, it's definitely become a very kind of a kind of a gaudy kind of money kind of place you know oh, it, it really? doesn't feel very comfortable yeah it's lost a lot of its vibes sadly but you know it's it's still a pretty place to visit it's yeah there, there's so much and you know i i go back to kind of where i grew up and, and i'm not originally from florida but i've spent late my later teens uh living down here in florida and then obviously moved further south to, to south florida but when i go back and visit my parents up in central florida I you know I look at those same things like what's changed what's had hasn't changed and you know I guess that's and even in the town I'm living in now is there's so a lot that's changed in the 20 years that I've been living in in here in Jupiter Florida and uh, it, you go back and you're like oh, wow it's just it, it the only thing is they always say the only thing that's constant is change right <laughs> right so they, so yeah so growing up and so so you're originally as you said going through all you know younger years in school so you were were you born or, or from in in from California or in California? I, actually, no. I, I was born in in a very uh, small town, Fort Dodge, Iowa. Uh, but wow. we, yeah, that's that's about as redneck as you can get. Uh, you know, which is a good thing. You know, but uh, yeah, country boy by starting and uh, bounced around quite a bit. We ended up out here basically for my my father's work. He was in healthcare, and he ended up you know after kind of working his way up through his. His vertical, he ended up securing a, a pretty uh, executive position here in Southern California, specifically in Fountain Valley. And we were relocated out here, and that's kind of where we started. We, we originally landed in Huntington Beach, which is also in Southern California, and then transitioned over to Laguna Beach, where it was kind of closer to his work. And that's kind of where I started. So, you know, that's, you know, from the beginning, that's where I grew up. You look. You look back now and think that man. I'm glad I don't live in Iowa now, right? After oh. <laughs> living in California almost your, your practically your whole life, right? 
you know, it, it, it's an interest. I'd always like to kind of go and, and, and kind of visit kind of where things started. I've never been. Uh, I have been, I've been fortunate to bounce around the country a little bit. I did spend some time in Asheville, North Carolina. Um, this was back in the 90s, which I loved. Very similar to like the Laguna Beach characteristics I shared earlier. Very organic and very art focused. It, I, I think I've heard that it's changed again as well. But um, I've bounced around the country a little bit, but it would be cool to kind of go visit that town and, and kind of kind of see where everything started. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's I don't know, maybe that's an in, instinct nature for for folks, some folks to always see where they came from and, and at least have you know different scenery change and what it was like and what it could have been too. And I, I I go through that same period where my folks are originally from Scotland and they they came over here in the '60s and you know and and everyone always can't believe that I've not I've gone to Scotland yet to to see some of this stuff and. Uh, but anyway, that's, you know, that's, that's it. So yeah, so that's actually, you know, so the nineties here, so you graduate, you know, so we're about roughly the same age and just thinking about that Southern California, that whole vibe, the whole style, the whole music, you know, everything from, you know, you know, sublime stuff, no doubt to, you know, a lot of the rap that was going on in California at the time, it was probably, you know, a very, it was a hot scene. I, I would, I would, you know, I, at least I would say looking, looking from afar, but I mean, I guess that that's you, you, you that is that kind of what I described kind of is the way it was. Yeah. So I would say when I got into music, I discovered music. I would say it was 91, 1991. That was it. And I can, I mean, you're looking at Van Halen for unlawful carnal knowledge, Rush's roll of bones, Primus sailing the seas of cheese, spin doctors, you know, pocket full of kryptonite, you know, and, and, and the Metallica black album. I had a very dynamic, you know, kind of a music repertoire, if you will. I mean, it really spanned. So 91 was kind of it. And I just love the specific bands I mentioned a moment ago. And, you know, obviously the dynamics there, what I liked about a lot of those bands is I was just, I was more drawn not to the kind of the flashiness, but just kind of their composition and like their, their groove and vibe and just kind of how they orchestrate a lot of their, their stuff. We'll talk about Metallica, Primus, and, you know, Van Halen, Rush, those four specifically had very cool composition characteristics, how they formulated their songs. And I was just really drawn to that. And that's really kind of picked up. And then eventually it kind of started cascading into the, you know, the, the dish wallets, counting crows and the, the mid nineties kind of things. And then eventually kind of cascaded up to like singer songwriter type stuff. But yeah, 91 was really kind of what got me into music, you know, and, uh, and really started discovering bands and really kind of digging into that kind of stuff. Yeah, no, it's I, I'm like I said, I'm, like, like I said, I, we're we're fairly fairly close in same age, and I graduated in '92. But I, yeah, right right there with you, a lot of that stuff. Those same bands, I'm you know I, I've always considered myself more of a rock guy, just from the. Right. Well, yeah, it was interesting. So I, you know, kind of circling back, you know, I, you know, discovering these bands, listening to music, I loved it. And then, you know, obviously 
people don't realize that you know, once upon a time MTV actually had not only music videos but played a lot of live performances and stuff. And I got to really kind of be able to experience, uh, you know, Van Halen, Rush, Metallica, and and Sting. These four earlier on really kind of got me in because I got to see them perform. And you know, Alex Van Halen with this monster kit, four bass drums, Lars Ulrich with a big white kit as well, and and Vinny Caliuta with his kit. There there was a, a common denominator. These these you know, very busy kits, very white um, kind of presence and, uh, you know, look and feel. And it was just these monster kits that they were doing a lot of cool stuff with. And I was like, man, I really, that looks so fun. I really you know, wanted to try to kind of get into that. Um, you know, and, you know, how are you going to go out and play and stuff like that? So I would try to go take a couple lessons and, you know, it, it never panned out. I take a handful of lessons. I'm like, this is not what, it, this is not for me ever. And I just kind of fell out. Um, you know, doing the lessons thing, but uh, really kind of what got me triggered into it was we'll kind of fast track up to my, you know, the summer of eighth grade going into high school. Uh, it kind of fell into music by accident where, you know, I, I did not, I was not considered a jock. I was not, I did not care for football teams and basketball teams and all this stuff. And I found out through the high school that um, marching band gave PE credits and so I was like, okay, you know what? I'm going to go join the marching band. I'm going to hold the flag and stand out front and just get my PE credits that way. Turns out we had a very, it was a very small marching band, a very small music program, but an important one. And when I joined the marching band, they actually, um, they actually signed me uh, tenor drums, which are, if you ever seen marching band, there's the guys that have that kind of the five or six drums in front of them. And mainly because I was the only guy who could carry the stupid thing. They say it was, <laughs> Yeah. Because a lot of small kids like, you know, we need a tenor player and, you know, you're six, two or whatever it is. You're you're going to be a tenor player. So you're technically you were technically the jock amongst the uh, the, the band then. Right. To them. Right. I was I was not. Yeah, I was not musically trained. Like I said, I had a handful of drum lessons going into band, you know, and it was always something that I wanted to do. I, I like drums and stuff, but I couldn't I, you know, either afford the lessons or it just wasn't me you know, playing on a practice pad and. And like, this doesn't apply. Like, what is this? I'm not, I want to get on the kit, not this. And so, you know, I joined the marching band in high school. And it was the best thing I ever had. We had drum coaches that taught me chops. And, you know, you had, you, you just, it started kind of building up early on and kind of the, you know, the early stages. And I fell in love with them. Like, this is awesome. This is my people. This is exactly what I needed. And, you know, I would say I wasn't really kind of fitting into high school like everyone else. It just, it was, just none of that was me. I didn't get any of that, but it just clicked for me when I first started marching band in, in the music program. And um, that's where I spent all my time. I get up early and I'd make sure I was at school at seven or more and I'd hang out in the band room until school started. I'd hang out in the band room at lunchtime and I'd hang out and after school until they kicked me out. And that was just kind of where I fell in love you know, with the stuff. And, you know, I had a great music teacher, Jeff Foster. I'm not sure if he's with us anymore, but, um, you know, he was a great music teacher and influenced me greatly and helped kind of train me on some things. So I, I developed an ear, I developed composition and orchestration, and I think that really helped a lot of things. And then kind of self-taught myself after that. But um, that's really kind of where where music kind of where I got a lot of my training from was like the you know the school music programs and and really kind of took it off from there. Yeah. No. Okay. That's I, and that, that was something I was curious about was. Um, 
how that background started was it you know a lot a lot of just self-taught kind of just went at it and but there was also because a lot of the guests that i have on you know more and more i learned and again i wish i had a time machine i've gone back my you know as they say you you know the all the information you could pass on to your younger self is that a lot of the guests all started out in in drum corps high school and on to college and it really built that foundation of their chops and their rudiments and their you know really the discipline and then and then obviously translate into many other things from there so it's not just hey i'm never i guess if if folks really don't know about playing in the band, especially the marching band, which is that's a whole nother thing in itself. You have to play right. and and move at the same time, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Is you know there is life out after all of this after college if you continue because then you continue on with music in a music career, not just okay I'm done playing. I don't know maybe a sport. Let's say that doesn't have a longevity career if you're not good at it or there's really not a professional aspect of it or, or something like that but so no okay so that so that kind of got you started is is that's that's i agree i agree that you you know one avenue for edu- you know learning to play the drums may have seemed like it was not the right and then you said it then you found your new the new avenue with the uh, the marching band so so now did you continue that after high school or like college or any something to that nature yeah so Sure. So like you said, uh, I think a lot of it was kind of self-honing and self-educating after that point. You know, the big thing that I did was was um, kind of was, like you said, self-taught and just and playing in other bands and just playing in, in low key clubs um, you know, from either, either, you know, first started out with cover bands. But that really wasn't my thing. I, I, I just there's something about playing in cover bands. It's just it just kind of felt um didn't feel right for me. I kind of, you know, from being in high school and stuff like that, working on different things, I just kind of had, was drawn to composition. So I kind of wanted to find, I was always kind of gravitating towards musicians that wanted to kind of start from scratch and kind of build our own sound and our own music thing. So I, I you know, I'd always kind of, you know, net, you know, gravitated towards original you know, song structures and original bands to go out and try to make things happen. So I did continue to to play in bands throughout the course of you know college and things like that, and you know and there was once upon a time there was like any other musician there was that one you know gap year as you want to call it where you really tried to give it your all and try to get signed quote unquote you know again I was the '90s kid so you know when you're hearing about Stone Temple Pilots playing one show at the Whiskey in L.A. and they got signed and then they became who they were that's what everybody was motivated by. <laughs> they, they all like, okay, that's all you needed to do. So, right. You know, you're working these low, you know, these part-time jobs and then you're paying money to go to these clubs to, to play your show and be featured. And, you know, I did that for a while and then, you know, I gave it up and then, um, you know, tried to do that for a year. It didn't happen. So then it was off to living the plan B of getting the nine to five job and pursuing a career. And, and, uh, but musically kind of maintained throughout that i still you know play pretty regularly there is a studio here in garden grove that um that i rent out and i go practice you know certainly right now i'm not in a band currently but i've been trying to find a band for some time so what i found difficult i just i couldn't find the right band so what i've done is i created this uh there i joined this website called band mix b-a-n-d-m-i-x and it's like kind of like a Craigslist where musicians can kind of put up a profile and you can try to network with other musicians. And so with that, 
I kind of joined that. Um, and what I did as kind of my audition is I started, you know, recording my practices where I play along the songs and I'd, I'd find songs that were important to me growing up. But also what I did is I found, you know, I chose, I specifically chose more simpler songs that still had some composition, but they were just very simple songs. And what I did is I, when I would play these songs, practice them, I would approach them like if I were auditioning for this band, what would I change differently from a, a drum playing composition perspective and, and embellish them a different way? And so I record those videos and put them on the site in hopes that I could try to create like virtual auditions to try to find bands. But it's it's always been really kind of tough to do that. It's yeah. I mean, as much as now, like you said, the the opportunities to record or uh, video or audio or both and being able to put it up, whether it's YouTube or band mix and for folks to kind of see who who they're getting, who they're who they're looking for. Yeah, I guess there's good and good and bad of it, right? Um, unfortunately, some people still, you know, first uh, you look or everything. Unfortunately, but I, I think that's such a such a benefit. And and yeah, and band mix is a, a great place to find folks. And uh, you know, well, or you know, sometimes it's right. Like you said, it's, sometimes it's hard to find whether it's the right folks or the right style. Or yeah, it's it's not as easy as most people think. You know, as they say, you know, bands that have longevity. That alone, for those are who aren't musicians. Those folk, you know, y'all that are that are maybe listening that are aren't musicians, this is a very that is a very difficult thing to keep that longevity more than probably a few years, right? Where you, where you you stand, you can stand each other long enough, or at least you have mutual respect, or you know that bond. Whereas a rolling, well, look at all the Rolling Stones drama that they've had, but they still they they'll put it together or Metallica or like you said, or or rush even. Right. And all these bands that have been around for a long time. And then there's some that are just like egos or other things that kind of get in that way. And, and uh, you know, and, and just like, I'm sure, I don't know. Have you seen the documentary, uh, the Beatles documentary that came out? Yep. Yeah. So yeah, you, you know, you watch that and you're like, all right, these guys have been together for a long time and then they have their little nuances, but they also aren't like, killing each other too and uh, I, I don't know if that's a little bit maybe a sense of uh maybe how uh english people are they're a little bit more a little bit more uh, uh <laughs> polite right. or not, uh, you know a little <laughs> where they're not going crazy but uh yeah that's that's kind of so yeah so a band mix and, and so do you also are you like doing like for hire also fill in stuff or or just you know as needed I try to find a lot of that. Where I find is that there's there seems to be two towers of bands out there that's been that way for 30 plus years. You have these cover bands, but they focus on stuff from the 50s. You mentioned the Beatles a moment ago and you know Stevie Ray Vaughan and all this stuff that sadly people in my circle don't listen to. They've never heard an album from cover to cover, so they don't really appeal to that. Or you have, sadly, what I appreciate you have kind of the speed metal stuff. I'm a pre. I, I appreciate metal ter- fantastically. You know, Symphony X and Megadeth and Metallica and Body Count. You know, I appreciate the musicianship, but that's just not me. I don't have that um, that playing style. I don't play double pedal. I've never used one ever in my life. I usually keep time with my my high output, but I'm I'm just not that. So those are the two extremes, and there's nothing in the middle. So uh, as far as sitting in, I would love to do that, but it's just, I got to find something that that's more, you know, more my vibe. 
Well, Nico, Nico, if I'm, I'm if I'm correct, is Nico McBrain from Iron Maiden only plays one pedal. That from Iron Maiden. There you yeah, go. Yeah, uh, yeah. So, there's some that if you yeah. there's with the right technique, yeah, you can do a lot of cool stuff with one yeah, pedal. Yeah. I've just never been. Uh, I, I, I'm good with my foot. He's he's phenomenal. <laughs> I just with my one foot, I can do some cool things, but never put enough time in. And that's that's kind of what I've been doing as of late is trying to improve independence and, and things like that. But right. Yeah, that guy's phenomenal. Yeah, uh, and I only just bring that up because it just came to mind where a fellow alum on the podcast. Kevin Fruget, his band here, Angels of War, had played a show at Nico's uh, restaurant that he has down in uh, Fort Lauderdale area. And he did, it's like a kind of a big benefit show that he does every year this nice. time of the year. And their band opened up, and he got to play on Nico's drums. But he couldn't he couldn't change anything. He couldn't bring his double pedal in, so he had to settle for a single kick. And uh, so it was like that's why I just you know just kind of mentioned. Oh, it, yeah, okay. Yeah, fair yeah. enough. So so yeah, sorry. I had, I had to at least explain why I went in that direction. No, that's <laughs> and that's fine. That yeah, is that yeah, absolutely yeah, fine. Yeah, yeah. So I uh, appreciate those guys with the double pedal though. No, no getting wrong. I mean, uh, well, one of the uh, you know obviously a lot of the bands, you know, the drummers I grew up used a lot of that, and one particular one did it very tastefully. Uh, Carter Beaufort, Dave Matthews, that was a big '90s guy. He kind of opened things up compositionally wise, but yeah, I respect the heck out of it. I just never took the time to do it. But if I can keep if I can keep time with my left foot on the hi hat, if I just move my foot over, I could probably do it. I've just never tried it, and I guess I'm too intimidated. <laughs> so, so okay, so that that was kind of you know as you, you talked about some of your you know growing up and how you got established, how you got your start, and kind of where you went from there. So, how do we let's you know lead into how do, how did you start you know making drums and let me first pre prefix or pre uh pre not prefix but you know pr- go into a little bit of pre here is uh for the for the listeners is you know so nick is the owner of newport drums uh based out of as we said in orange county the south uh south california area and new uh drum company and he makes drums and as and we're going to go and talk into a little bit more about that but i guess the question that you know i want to just kind of start off before we really want dive a little bit more deeper into the company is how did you start learning how to make drums you know is this this was this like an elective in a woodshop class in high school or is it just something that you kind of what you currently do you know and in, in your maybe your other job or uh, or yeah i mean I'd, I'd really fascinated to kind of learn how how you got into making drums it's kind of it's kind of funny. It was kind of by accident and, and a fortunate accident. So my day job is um, is information technology. Right? I had a career in, in IT and things like that. And I would say towards the end, you know, kind of around from like say 2016 to current state, right? Things are becoming very more unstable in the job market all across the board, right? You know, companies consolidate, and there's a lot of instability in that. And I was, you know, you know, through my career path while I've been kind of growing in that vertical, you know, either, you know, experienced some instability, you know, project-based type work and things like that. And it eventually became more infrequent with a family trying to find more stability in the workplace. And so, you know, one thing I wanted to kind of find a solve for that, I kind of got burned out with corporate America, if you will. I was like, you know what, this is really for me. And um, in kind of doing some reading, I came across... I actually came across a, um, you know, kind of a, 
it was a video actually it was kind of an advertisement within a modern drummer magazine for you know building your own custom drums it was a, a really cool link it was a, a video and it was a, a dynamic complete from beginning and how to how to source shells bearing edges how to custom paint custom stain veneers powder coating you name it it had everything and i wanted something you know i just uh I found that interesting. I wanted to kind of grasp into that because you know, really at the time that I discovered that there was a massive amount of custom drum companies out there that I felt were, um, while they were doing really cool stuff, everything, the common denominator within that landscape is all of their products were so out of reach, like from a pricing perspective and um, availability, it just was too out of reach for most drummers. And I kind of wanted to do some researches, you know, I was intrigued by the video and I thought I'm going to look into this because it was interesting to me to kind of understand how it worked and kind of go from there. So I bought this video and I kind of went through all the different programs and, and uh, I found out it was, it was, it didn't take as much as I thought. I thought you needed, you know, this massive 200 you know, square foot warehouse and you needed all these things and it ended up not being the case. And then when I understood that, then I started kind of taking a step back and using my IT kind of background and kind of looking at, the, the big drum makers, some of the custom shops, like in some of the corporate ones, kind of breaking everything down. You know, what, you know, consists of what are drums made of? You know, what are the basic components? And then I started kind of doing some leveraging kind of the, kind of the restaurant space, if you will, and kind of looking at, okay, um, you know, looking at, you know, you have your basic ingredients and then you have your, kind of your modifiers, right? You know, when you go into a restaurant, you order a burger, you know, you don't want lettuce, you more pickles. It doesn't cost anything more to do that. But, you know, kind of cross pollinate that in the drums, you have your basic, you know, foundation, you have wood, you have your hardware and your heads, you know, and if you want to change that, it does, you know, shouldn't be an issue. So really I started looking at what other, you know, these other companies and all these different tiers that they had, like, um, I'm not going to share names now, but, you know, they have these different lines of kits that are lesser quality and then the quality goes up with more expensive stuff. And I just, from what I learned from the videos, I thought that is absolutely insane that people are getting ripped off like that. That is so unfair. And it's, it limits options for drummers. It, 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 it um, doesn't allow them to get quality products so that they can, you know, hone their craft to go on. It just, there were so many limitations out there and it was very expensive and, I just became frustrated with it. So I started looking at these videos and started practicing a little bit on, you know, I started out building snares first, getting the bearing edges, doing some wraps, doing powder coatings and custom paints. And then I found out, um, you know, I started then researching different suppliers, right? Those, you've got a um, number of suppliers out there. And then I, I was able through some of my research, I was able to find suppliers to get certain materials to assemble the drums um and more you know at, they were you know more cost effective but in in bulk or rate so i was able to buy you know some components in bulk and that kind of made things very um wasn't a, as much and so i thought you know doing the math i found a, a way after my experience with you know what it takes to powder coat hardware if you wanted to do that what it takes to stain a drum um and then product availability like exotic woods and things like that when i when i found out the availability of what it took to assemble these drums it, was, it wasn't as hard as i thought it was i was able to do it by myself and i thought you know what i'm going to i'm going to start kind of you know getting some practice in here i want to try to see if i can get this buttoned up 
to where I could start making more, you know, quality drums with near unlimited limitations, right? Near, near infinite and make it more accessible within, within budgets and stuff. And so I practiced, practiced the, and then the, the COVID pandemic happened, you know, with my, you know, when that hit, that freed up a lot more time for me to kind of hone this in. So I had practiced and kind of worked with some uh, other different vendors and things like that. And I buttoned it up to where I said, this is what I want to try to pursue. I think, um, I think I can solve the problem for many drummers today where they have more options, um, options that are within a uh, you know, reasonable price point, I think. Um, and, and, and then plus also continue to bring more value add, right. It, make it easier for things. And, you know, that's what I'm working on now as well. So, so Nick, the, uh, so, so what, so you're, you're, you kind of, so yeah, again, as, as, as you were talking there, I was thinking, you know, yeah, that that's kind of a lot of it is there's two range. There's nothing, it's almost, there's nothing in the middle, right? It's either cheaper, cheaper gear, uh, drums, and you know, there's your price point there. And then some of the stuff that's, you've got to be almost a professional musician to, to get, you know, or, or somebody else paying for endorsements, et cetera, or you got the money to be uh, the other ends and it's almost there's not a whole lot of in between that you're getting getting good quality for a good price and that's you know, what i wanted to right. say there there is removing the tears there's no reason absolutely no reason um for for these drum companies to have these different level kits it's it's absurd it's just their way it's an unofficial way of kind of nickel and diming there because there's no way if you have quality product stuff that you've made you have a um you have a flagship kit. Why are you, you know, if, why are you, uh, you're in a, why are you selling it for a le- or creating lesser quality stuff? Essentially, if you have your quality stuff, that should be it. And you should be able to, to expand that. I just think companies are, you know, you know, I, I think there's some nickel and diamond going on and I just want to change that space. All right. So, so that, so that's kind of what, and again, that's interesting that, you know, and I, I didn't, I wasn't expecting, that you know answer it to that question about how to how you learn to make drums i you know again thinking there was somewhere again like that's why i asked was there some history wood shopping or or, you know already had some type of background but yeah you just kind of i got frustrated i guess maybe that's what it was it was a a very long-winded answer but i think i just got frustrated with how the the industry has been for millions of years it's the most expensive drum or most expensive instrument out there and when i kind of broke it down it's like why are these different tiers and different things it's like just have a baseline and that's it and let people figure that out you know yeah it it, it's it's a huge investment it's i almost equate playing the drums to like playing uh goalie in a hockey team because that's usually you got the more gear than mostly everybody else and the, and the most you and you got the biggest stuff to carry too right. um so so i guess so that's what he kind of says i think you said there in, in in that that you know in is that's what really sets you apart from those big manufacturers where they're just mass producing a certain style and a certain you know again so i mean how so how how do you kind of you know, with that being in comp, you could be able to compete. And I know you kind of, you're starting, you know, the company's just kind of, you know, just started out and starting to get the legs on it. Um, but I mean, how do you see that we're, we're, you're able to compete with that, uh, you know, the bigger, the bigger companies or other maybe independents? Well, I, 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 I've been, I continue to do some research on some, on what these other companies do. I, while I can't mention names, 
you know, of all the drum manufacturers out there from a corporate level, there's one big one that's been around a while. They're well known for all their quality stuff, but for the most part, they're, they target, they're out of range. But when you break down the process in which this stuff is, there's no reason. I, I, I find it almost insulting when I understood how they manufacture stuff. I can understand where, why they're expensive the way they are. But again, it, it doesn't need to be that way. So, um, so the other, I mean, again, it's, yeah. So if the materials are all the same, it's if equal playing field, cost. From, right. All you don't that, need that. You don't then, need to do that. And, and again, maybe that's what it is, right? It's a markup because of, you know, I, I'll give you an alcohol reference. You know, there's, there's certain bourbons that have gotten a reputation of being really tough to get scarce, et cetera. And, and some, and then a lot of uh, companies, they will put a higher price point because people will see it as, a better product. Oh, the, uh, this is this much. Oh, that must mean that, right. that this is good stuff, right? And thank you. And, and yeah, so it is a you know it, it's a marketing way and it's a sales and, and you know and, and so forth. Yeah. So let me ask you real quick though. So all right, because I, I I do a little IT stuff also, so I want to ask you kind of a little tongue in cheek question here. So all right, so during this process, at any of it, did you apply Scrum and Agile? <laughs> <laughs> oh right, doing a bit. I had to. Yeah, you have to kind of do it in bits, uh, bits and pieces there. So you know, start out in, in little little spurts. Um, I've now. I will say, yeah, I have had a learning curve. So when I started this, and again, circle back to the question again, the, the way the, the while I am starting a business, I feel that the the price, the margins that I'm creating is is enough for me to be comfortable. But I think it's well within be able to get product to anybody they want. So I, I certainly want to do that, but I, I did, I did kind of do it a little differently there. I did have some learning curves there. I did. Yeah. I did try to go straight to the top. I did try to, when I launched it, so I wanted to go straight to the guitar centers and try to get out there as much as I can to bring awareness and, and screwed that up. So um, now I'm, I've gone to more of the agile doing sprints where I'm going to just start locally and, and kind of work on, you know, some of the local retailers here in my own town. And then, grow from there cool all right it's all of our it folks that are listening are going to get a, a big kick out of uh, yeah. us it talking <laughs> so um and just remind me we'll, we'll chat a little bit after uh, off off the uh off our time here but i uh, just want to talk just remind me um because i did want to pass along maybe somebody also could reach out to who has a shop here uh uh that who has also been on the podcast also too, at least maybe I can try to connect you with, uh, with him. But, uh, so, all right. So if I, if I've got, so what you're telling me is if I come to you with dimensions and types of wood and, and here's what I want, this is exactly what you're, you're all about, right? Correct. So I've, I mean, right now, exotic woods, if you want, uh, curly maple, waterfall maple, uh, or sorry, bird's eye maple, curly maple. You want uh, waterfall babinga, rosewood, maple and gum, walnut. All those are are there. I can get all those, and we can cut the dimensions based on your sizes. If you want, you know, custom paint, you know, uh, you know, powder coated hardware. You want, you know, uh, metal flake, glass glitter, whatever you want. It's all baked in. Uh, reinforcement rings. Not people. A lot of people ought to use them, but they can do there. And I, my price point will stay the same. So, for example, snare drums can be four hundred dollars, right? Um, and then you just basically tell me how you want that 
to look, finish, whatever, and then it's done. And so uh, that's kind of the kind of the standard thing there is, you know, really just not limiting your options. There is no no. There's no you know this this version has five options and this one has this better one has another five options. It's whatever you want. Period. Okay. So so you got it right. So a a base you got some some that are a base and then just whether how they want it to look versus sizes and and again again any range of customization uh, a person could think of is uh, is what. What you do, and that's kind of so. I, you know, I think, um, kind of just jump back to some of the, you know, the the making of it. So, did, when you started this up, I mean, are you, are you, I mean, did you have? Was there a lot of like machinery that you had to kind of outlay, or really no? Um, I've got, I've can do a lot of this at a home studio, and then for more of the smaller amount of orders. Right now, I've been giving stuff away, but or I was early on. That stopped. The calls keep coming in for people want the free stuff, and I appreciate that, but I, I, I don't, I am not able to do that anymore. And then I have another kind of a larger facility where I can do all of my, you know, paints and stuff here locally. So, but as far as tools, you know, home studio is 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 very simple. I've got you know router table, I've got uh, a drill, a kind of a standing drill press. I've got kind of this mondo trimmer when I use for wraps if I do, and I've got my paint guns. Um, and then I can do some of that low quality at my, my home studio. And then if I need, you know, more bigger stuff, I have the other studio as well. So it doesn't, you know, it doesn't take much. So I don't have these big warehouses. I don't have these, a lot of automated machines that sadly a lot of these companies use is these massive automations and robots and all kinds of stuff. Don't use any of that. I mean, I literally do all this on my own with, a, you know, a few garage tools. Very good. Wow. That's, that's, that's damn impressive. So, so well, that's the thing. It doesn't take much, and so because of that, the overhead's low, and, and they kind of pass that on to everyone else. Yeah, and that's why I'm just it was asked, curious because I know machinery and especially CNC machines and mills, and as like you said, there a lot of that bigger equipment is it's a huge capital, and and to be able to like I said, do it at this at how you're doing it, you're able to keep that cost low, and you're not putting yourself too far into it. Yeah, so very very smart, very smart. Yeah. So, so what, what's your, what's your current kit uh, that you're playing right now or you're most, perf- you know, using? Cause I know, I know drummers have more than one kit. So I know sometimes that's t- tough to, for them to answer that question, but. Um, oh, gotcha. Yeah. So I, I, for, I have, I, I play my own Newport kit now. I just finished uh, a couple weeks ago. It's uh, but prior to that, I was playing a, a DW design series kit, but what I have now is, um, is that I have a I play a, a ten uh, eight by ten nine by twelve fourteen by sixteen twenty two by eighteen you know tom sizes have a kind of like a snowflake sparkle with some ivory um, metallic hardware and then I have a thirteen by by five and a half um, ten ply timbali and that's usually what it is I play kind of a smaller kit so you know six piece kit and then I've got you know I use uh, Zildjian A custom symbols across the board so I have uh, uh, as you probably saw, or if you've seen some like, band mix, but I have you know four splashes and four crashes of trying to ride, and I, I like to embellish percussion. So I've got a cowbell, jam block, some wind chimes, and stuff like that. But try to do that kind of tastefully for orchestration purposes and stuff like that. Yeah, so yeah, I, I watched the videos and uh, and then also I, I just to kind of mention too is I know they're also available on your channel. Um, your the videos as well too. So both on the band mix and your YouTube channel. And um, I was 
yeah. So and that, so that that kind of a is a uh, leads into there is, is talking about the the videos is so the 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 covers you have um, that you have up on Bandmix as you mentioned it, that's a that's a wide range of your your selection there on the artists that you've covered you know stuff from Leanne Rhymes and uh, Katie Tunsil REM Collective Soul Primus Van Halen so. That is, uh, like you said, I know you talked about it a little bit earlier with some of that orchestration and composed composition where, you know, you kind of picked out certain songs to be able to show and highlight certain things and so forth. I mean, so how, so how do you choose what songs to cover, right? Because, you know, I, I know the Van Halen song, you know, that was, I think that one was from before on Lawful Carnal Knowledge. And uh, yeah, as opposed to maybe like a, an older Van Halen song. But I mean, how do you, how do you kind of come up with what you want to cover? Yeah, you know what, I... So a lot of those, those, you know, Fine Frenzy and all that stuff, those were all bands that I just, I, I enjoyed those artists specifically. I liked their, their songs and their, uh, the music and things like that. So those were all bands that I, I listened to directly that I, I appreciate quite a bit. Uh, you know, as far as the, you know, the songs, um, you know, listening to the, the various albums, some of them I tried to pick well-known, but other ones, they just, they were really cool. Groove-wise, vocal melodies, the, the whole song structure just kind of hit me of all of all the the ones that I chose, and so when I kind of picked those, and I just kind of wanted to play it in my own way, and as, and as you saw, kind of did that. Um, one particular one, there was an artist when I was getting in, was heavily into kind of the singer-songwriter stuff. There was an artist called A Fine Frenzy, and there's a song there called What I Would Do. It was a very cool song, but there was no drum tracks. It was just vocals, and they were kind of doing some syncopated hand clapping. But it was such a cool song. It was just fun, and it was upbeat, and it was really cool original, just how they were able to, the vocal melody was able to kind of transcend the whole song. And So, you know, I kind of approached that song, the kind of thing is created a drum part for it that kind of enhanced all that. So that was just um, one of those things I like to do is just kind of, you know, try to, you know, enjoy the vibe of the song and kind of and kind of go from there. Right, and and, and like I said, covers are kind of be t- can can be tough, probably more so than any other instrument because there's typically other layers of percussion li- laying on top of the the actual bass drum track, and like you said, there whether it's hand clapping or uh, some other type of yeah. uh, you know tambour, you know uh, hand hand percussion as well too, and. Uh, so to, to always just kind of pick some of those parts out there. So, yeah, no, that's cool. So and those and everything and that was all you, that's where your, your studio is uh, your, your, that you're talking about where you have yeah. everything set up. Yeah, cool. So I set up there and uh, that's where I kind of play. And again, those, uh, you know, when I put them on YouTube, mainly just so I can upload them on the band mix. So it wasn't, you know, it wasn't one of those situations where I wanted to be, you know, trying to make money and all that because it wasn't really meant for that at all. It was really just meant for a very quick, kind of like an audition kind of thing for for other bands to kind of you know try to yeah. generate some interest in joining some other bands. Right. And that's a lot yeah, like we said earlier was a lot a lot of because the video is so readily available and maybe not to cer- certain ranges of drummers may have set up to actually tape themselves and at least they have something to show hey, here's what I look like or here's how you're right like you said the the the, the resume, I guess if you call it. Yeah. Right. Uh, what nice. like band mi- band mixes uh, you know, kind of here's what I am, here's what I do, and, and here's what you know, you know about me, right? So it's the it's the LinkedIn version of <laughs> for musicians. <Right. laughs> so, um, 
So do you uh, say so you're right? You mentioned you're already kind of, you're kind of you know uh, looking to kind of get something uh, you know some other musicians working. Other, have you? Uh, do you play any other instruments? No, sadly. okay, this okay. Was, this was that. Got it. Okay, so I, so I was thinking was I you know I I know I know surprise again we were talking about the Beatles documentary where those guys seem to be able to can play anything right? Each of them played the piano or this or that, which is. Um, and I think actually Paul McCartney during the whole lockdown last year put out a whole album where he played every instrument on his album and the, the drums and the guitars and everything. And it just is amazing. But have you ever heard of, uh, there's a website called Air Gigs. And Air Gigs. Yes. No. Air Gigs. So they, it's kind of like a, it's kind of like a fiver, I guess, kind of thing where musicians say, hey, here's. You know, for for you know, uh, charge by the hour and say, "Are you looking for a musician? I'm I'm this t- style of musician." Or maybe, "Hey, check out my my work or whatever." And so, mu- solo musicians or people might be looking just f- to hire a drummer to put down a track for oh, maybe yeah. for maybe f- for original music. And uh, so again, you know, okay, hey, it's gonna you know, hundred dollars an hour or whatever whatever it is. It's you know, it's airgigs dot com, and uh, the so. Again, it could be a different range of skill sets and what you get, and you know, there's some professional musicians that are out there, and some that are you know maybe hobbyist or you know somewhere in between. But yeah, if it's something to look at, again, you you put yourself out there and make a little bit of money just recording you know digitally, and then send it to somebody probably on the other side of the world uh, for music that they're looking for, right? So yeah, yeah. So um, yeah, no, that's that's kind of interesting. So so. So you mentioned a little bit about the composition. We were talking about Metallica and Primus and Rush, right? So, um, so those, I guess, those are kind of you, you feel say that you, those are your anchor bands or, or music taste and I, style. I would say the anchor bands that got me going was Van Halen and Rush early on. Those were the two mainly. It just, yeah, I, I love them particularly. One, obviously, with Neil Peart, very compositional, like we mentioned a moment ago. Right. What I liked right. about Alex Van Halen is he took straight ahead, really cool straight ahead rock, or what they, I guess, they consider themselves early on as a metal band, and he put a swing to it. A lot of people think, you know, when I talk to him, first impression is like, Alex was a pretty simple pocket player. It wasn't all that technical. I'm like, yeah, yeah, he was. And if you listen to that stuff, it's very hard the way he applied the swing feel over the bar with these grooves, but still, he made it dance, but it was still rock and metal. It was very, that's not very easy to do. And that takes a lot of, a lot of, you know, you know, and intellect there musically. And that guy was a genius in a lot of ways. So those two were pretty much the, the ones that got me going. And then, uh, and then eventually, you know, I discovered Tim Alexander and Carter Beaufort. And, mm-hmm. you know, that kind of rounds out probably my top four, I think. Yeah, cool. So I guess that leads into the, the, the for our first question. In in, in, in uh, all right, I put every all the guests through it, and the, our drum guest it's called in four beats or less, and for our rum rum guest it's called in four sips or less. So let's go right oh, into cool. it. Yep. So this is in four. <laughs> so again, it's catchy, catchy and cheesy, I guess, right? So in four beats or less, who's on your Mount Rushmore of drummers? Alex Van Halen, Neil Peart, Tim Alexander, Carter Beaufort. All right, there you go. All right, so there we go. So that was you very very confident in that answer there. So <laughs> you're fired them right off. Right. So all right. So what's something that most people don't know about you that they'd be surprised about? I was once uh, an aspiring chef way back in the day. That's what I wanted to do. I wanted to, you know, I wanted to be a chef one day and kind of went through that 
early on stage and I went to the early, tried to chain and all that good stuff, but it wasn't for me very later on. I got into it for the wrong reason. So hmm. I, I ditched it pretty quick. Hmm. You could be, you could have been the drumming chef, uh, new, the new show on food, the food network. God. <laughs> Jesus. Hey man, they put everything. I wouldn't they, be surprised if they did something like that, but whatever. Yeah. All right. Yeah. We'll just, everyone remember this conversation. Let's mark the date. And when you see it, you say you're first on, on our podcaster. So, <laughs> All right. So what do you what do you prefer, you know, recording in the studio or performing live? Uh performing live, hands down, yeah. you're gonna learn so much there, period. Yeah, it's period. a different it's a different, totally different vibe, obviously being in the yep. studio under pressure and things and yep. again I mean again you're creating, you know, but at the same time that live performing live, there's a rush to it. There's a, a whole different vibe that's going on as opposed to just laying down drum tracks in a in a studio. So all right. So what what's what's your favorite percussion other than the drums or that's not a drums or a drum set? Oh, it's not a drums or drum set. Yeah, some other percussion item, you know. Yeah. Uh it's yeah. actually the marimba. Oh, okay. That's a good answer. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm big on like the there's a there's a jazz channel out here called eighty eight point one that plays a lot of old you know a lot of traditional jazz and stuff like that. But that thing is just slick. I mean, it's percussive, but it's piano, but it's it's oh, it's really cool. Marimba's that's my thing. Hmm. Do you have one? No. Oh my god. <laughs> I think anybody could. But those things are are really cool, man. I the I again most people are familiar just with the xylophone and things that that, that that's yep. they're, they're they're two different instruments very similar there's a lot of similarities obviously and and again most people that don't know that actually the piano is part of the percussion family which I know a lot of folks don't realize that but because it doesn't look it doesn't look like a drum but it is still something hitting you know the the hammer hitting the strings and so forth inside the uh, the piano so. All right. Well, cool. So, um, so as we wrap up here, Nick, um, so yeah, so let, let's hear, here's the, the pitch, here's the, the rap, the, the, the you know, gotcha. what do we got? What's everybody need to know about? What do we need to do, uh, that you want to tell the listeners, uh, about Newport yourself or, or whatever, you know, here's the, uh, the, the 30, gotcha. 30 second commercial here, right? Gotcha. <laughs> well, just know that, uh, of all the companies out there, our job is to provide value add and really bring you know quality drums to you, so we can work with you to build and design your desired drum to really kind of maximize things. Uh, my biggest challenge right now is visibility. Obviously, people don't know me, so they're hesitant to consider. So, uh, if you're going to be in the Las Vegas area in the coming weeks, um, we are going to be featuring exclusively our products at sonic rodeo studios in las vegas it's a rehearsal um kind of a rehearsal space down in downtown las vegas and that our products all the rehearsal spaces will have our drum sets and snare drums there which is a cool thing so this will give you an opportunity to try out the product and kind of you know you know be able to see that we're not kidding around here uh and if all works well we will also be uh present at the las vegas drum show coming up in march of 2022 in which uh, you can come by and kind of see our dynamic inventory that I'll be representing, uh, exotic woods, drum kits, club kits, you name it, and be able to kind of showcase, you know, what we have to offer and talk in more detail. So if you're in the Las Vegas area, we hope to see you then. 
Excellent. And the website is just newportdrums.com, correct? Yeah, newportdrums.com, yes. All right. And then everything, right? So you guys are out on social media over on Instagram, Facebook, yep. and, and all and ever, everywhere else. Like uh, Instagram, yes. Facebook, not yet. Okay. Uh, Instagram is more of a thing. But we are going through, I am in the process of kind of a total remarketing thing. So the website's going to be uh, launched here in a couple, hopefully another month. It'll be reformatted in the whole bit but what is on the website is my direct contact number so you can email me directly and one thing that's different i have rapid response times my cell phone is on my personal cell phone is on the website so you can call me anytime and i field all my calls so i am very i am a lot more accessible than the other companies out there yeah no i and and those that are listening you, you definitely can't you can't really beat that or the, the, the customer service. And, and again, you're talking directly to the owner of the drums you could be buying and you should be buying uh, and trying out. So again, like, like Nick said, it's, you know, you may not have heard of Newport, but hopefully, you know, through the podcast and, and others spread the word out there and, and, and kind of, you know, there's other things out there other than some of the bigger names that just kind of like we talk about the rum, rum, rum business, the rum industry. There's some big names that are out there that a lot of the craft rum companies, uh, you know, they're 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 they've got some good products too, and and, and the the big guys kind of it's hard to get on that shelf, and and very similarly, you know, like this too, and some of the just because just because you haven't heard of the name doesn't mean it's not good. And, uh, and this is definitely something that, you know, I appreciate, you know, Nick coming on, talking about Newport drums, obviously very passionate. Again, these, this is a, you know, up, up and up and up and coming, uh, drum company here. So, uh, so yeah. All right. No, the, I, this is, this has been great, Nick. Um, appreciate the, uh, the time today coming on and talk about drums, uh, and talk about new Newport drums, talk about how, you know, you, you kind of get up, up and running. And uh, and see most most get some most some drum guests kind of get a little kind of uh, concerned because of the name of the podcast and and look we didn't we really didn't talk about rum and you know so it's either some drum podcast can be purely a drum podcast and uh, which you know we don't have to talk about rum if we don't need to but it's always there if uh, if, <laughs> if if so, oh, if, gotcha. if, yeah if the guest wants to but again these are sometimes these podcasts are purely just for drummers you know or folks that are again may not be you know we didn't get too tech super technical into asking about the bearing yet you know and or certain you know the certain things but again it's enough to kind of hopefully whet people's interest into uh the company the, to reach out to you to find out more um but again it the the average uh that average people in the middle there right uh they learn to learn and learn learn more about it so uh but yeah no very cool i i nick like i said i again i appreciate the uh, taking the time this afternoon so again i'd like to thank nick for coming on the podcast talking about drums so please check out drums and rums podcast and give it a like follow and, and we have lots of other great episodes that are out there follow us on facebook instagram subscribe to our youtube channel and also visit the website drumsandrums.com and thank you all and have a great day this is where the backbeats meets the spirits cheers y'all if you like what we're doing here at Drums and Rums, we have a Patreon link to help with setting up interviews and creating content that you find entertaining and interesting. Also, if you'd like to sponsor, advertise on the podcast, or if you want to come on as a guest to promote something related to the show, email me at info at drumsandrums.com. 
Lastly, I want to thank Brad Brocktoon titled Once Upon a Bottle of Rum. And check out his podcast, Jams and Cocktails. Thanks again for listening, where the backbeats meet the spirits.